0: happen to like New York. I happen
1: to like this town. I'm Rebecca McCain and I also happen to like New York City. I love New York City and my love for this place has grown since learning about an organization called NYCH2O which works to educate our citizens about the natural water venues in our urban landscape.
2: And I'm Alan Winson, and we are Bar Crawl Radio, recording at Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar on West 72nd Street. Across the street from the mortuary and a long water balloon throw from the great Hudson River estuary. And a few miles from Brooklyn's Marine Salt Marsh and Ridgewood Reservoir Wetland and Baisley Pond and dozens of other natural water wonders that flow in and around our amazing New York City. It is a diverse water landscape that you need to know about.
1: Today's conversation is with founder and leader NYCH2O, Matthew Molina. Matt works to educate New Yorkers about the city's local water ecology in order to protect our natural water resources. Matt studied engineering at the University of Virginia, and worked as a public school teacher, and in 2009 founded NYC H2O.
2: And with us is Peter Frishoff, founder of Medscape, but for today, more importantly, Peter is an Upper West Side community leader who works to make life in our neighborhood lively, diverse, and safe for all its citizens. Thank you, Matt Molina and Peter Frishoff for joining us here.
0: Great to be here.
2: On Bar Ready here at, here at Gephard's. Um, and
1: thanks to Matt Gephard, for allowing us to do our podcast here, once always, again. Always, yeah. always, <laughs> always.
2: Um, So, Matt Molina, uh, we wanted to ask you, a few weeks ago, we were going to meet you at the Baisley Pond in Brooklyn to talk about your work. We were going to do it out- outside, but it was raining, and the audio equipment doesn't work well with, with rain. Uh, nevertheless, your team carried on out there, I hear. So, just to get started, tell us, what is Baisley Pond? And what were you doing out there?
0: Sure, we sure were, even in the rain. A little extra H2O just adds to our programs, especially falling from the sky. Baisley Ponds is a historic reservoir that was part of Brooklyn's old water system way back when Brooklyn was its own city. And uh, it's a beautiful pond now, um, but used to be a reservoir. And we bring students there on field trips. And so, we help to clean the park a couple of times a year. And uh, last Saturday, we were fishing stuff out of the water. We actually go Like what?
2: Like what was in the water?
0: All kinds of garbage. Uh, Bikes, scooters, garbage cans. Scooters? Bottles. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, we have lots of pictures uh, on our social media uh, documenting this. So, you actually go into the lake, like with your... We have... we do we we have chest waders and the water is about up to here and about up to up to your chest sure and we also bring inflatable boats and we go around picking up garbage but also collecting uh derelict fishing strings and kite string that gets stranded so that it doesn't harm the birds um and it it really is a hazard to the birds more than the fish uh to both Uh, But especially to the birds, especially uh, large birds. Uh, We have a video of a a volunteer who saved a great blue heron. This is a bird that has a wingspan of about seven feet and was tangled up in fishing string. This is what we do. We we help to clean the pond and and keep it looking good because we want our students that we bring there on environmental education
2: programs. We want them to see a beautiful pond rather than garbage. What, what was the most unusual thing you've found in any of the various jobs you've done in the waters in New York City? Uh, we found a few guns. Uh, recently, we, we found an
0: old rifle at, at the Ridgewood Reservoir.
1: I wonder, did that get passed over to the police? I mean, you would think that might have been a criminal getting rid of evidence or something.
0: This one was in really
2: bad shape, so... So you Uh, just got rid of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I heard that there was a skeleton of an American mastodon was found at Baisley Pond. That that is right. Yeah, yeah. there
0: were four places in New York City where they found the remains of the American mastodon, and Baisley Pond was one of them. And they found it when they were excavating the pond to make it a reservoir back in the 1850s. Right, right. And there's a model of it somewhere that you can see it. So uh, they did an homage to it in the playground adjacent to the pond. Lovely. which Lovely. Is, yeah, Lovely. You, you Lovely. did a great job on yeah.
1: it. So Matt, before you started NYCHDO, you were a competitive swimmer, a triathlete. So is, is that where your love of the waterways began?
0: It is. I, I love swimming. I still do. And so does Peter. Uh, Peter and I have swam together uh, up um, by the reservoirs in, in New Jersey. and. Uh, I, yeah, I swim all through the summer. At, and at when the you beach. say you swim,
2: you don't swim in the reservoir? No, you swim... Uh, up
0: next to where New Jersey has some reservoirs. Uh, Peter has a property with a, a beautiful lake in a, in a summer community. Nice. And uh, I've gone swimming with him. And, uh, We're I waiting
2: sw- for our invites. So. Yeah, <laughs> you know, one of these years, maybe. So. Anytime. So. So. Oh, okay, all right. No. What is
1: it that inspired you to start NYCH2? I'm writing that down, by the way.
0: I studied engineering in school and I uh, find that learning is most effective when you're out and about and find an interest in something and have a curiosity and and ask questions about it I was a teacher uh, for about 10 years and I saw an opportunity to uh, and I was a math and science teacher I saw an opportunity to motivate students to care about math and science through the water system because everybody has to drink water and our water system is really uh, a miracle of engineering which is based on math and science so the I saw the opportunity to bring kids out to reservoirs and other infrastructure sites having to do with the water system as a way to get them outside get them curious asking questions what is that and uh, so that that was the motivation
1: so you're still teaching really Yes, absolutely, yeah, yeah. and I,
2: I enjoy it. Do you remember the moment when you said, I need to stop being a teacher and start being a, an educator about water? I do, yeah. Uh, that was
0: 2014, and I had initially started doing programs with H2O in 2010, and um, I met Peter early on and I think it was 2010 or 2011, and uh, we were doing programs for uh, general audiences, and uh, Peter joined us for a bike tour following the path of the original Croton Aqueduct, built in 1842, and there are still remnants of it uh, along the way. Including I've, I've, I've ridden my bike along it. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful, a beautiful trail, and here, even in um, New York City, there, there are remnants of the original Croton system at the 42nd Street Library, where there was a, a, an old reservoir, the, the Bryant Park Reservoir. In fact, when that reservoir was disassembled, they used the stones as foundation for the, for the 42nd Street Library. Um, and up here on the, on the Upper West Side, there's the Central Park Reservoir, of course. And um, by Columbia, there, there's an old gatehouse, actually two. One is now a nursing home on 113th Street, and the, uh, there's another on 119th Street that still looks very much like a gatehouse. It's an abandoned property, but uh, it's, it's the real thing public.
3: And 137th Street and, and Convent Avenue uh, on the City College campus, which is now the Harlem Performing Arts Center.
1: Tell us more about NYC H2O. What sort of other things does your organization do?
0: Sure. We are primarily an environmental education organization, and we bring about 10,000 students outside Every year, yeah, on environmental education field trips to New York City parks where there are large, beautiful, natural areas. For example, Central Park, just a, a couple of steps away from here. Uh, Baisley Pond was another one. Uh, Ridgewood Reservoir is a place where we're very active. And some beaches, too, like Plum Beach and Lemming, Plum Beach, is, which is in South Brooklyn, pretty close to Coney Island, and Lemming Creek, which is in Staten Island, uh, all the way all, all the way
2: down south marine saltwater marsh
0: that's right and also the birthplace of the blue belt which is New York city's award-winning system for managing stormwater uh, with nature Peter how did you get involved in NYC2o
3: well very nicely I went on a uh, on a bike tour with Matt as he mentioned following the trail of the Croton aqueduct from the Start of it at the public library where there was a distributing reservoir in and in what is now the library and the foundations are there all the way up to highbridge and along the way these stops that matt just mentioned very very nice and i've always been i'm my professionally I've been involved in healthcare New York City had made this amazing investment in the built environment in the 19th century with the construction of the, uh, of the Croton Aqueduct, which just dropped the diseases from uh, waterborne diseases by a rock. Before the Croton Aqueduct was built, uh, one out of 39 people in the city of New York were dying of waterborne diseases. And after the construction, within years, it was reduced to a little over 1%.
2: So, And Peter brought a a chart here. It looks old, but it's pretty, I guess it's updated. We're going to link to it in our notes. Uh, The conquest of pestilence in New York
3: City, as shown by the death rate, as recorded by the official records of the Department of Health. So public health has an amazingly wonderful history and legacy in the city of New York. We have the best public health department in the country, and we really support it extraordinarily and the built environment, primarily the water, has more to do with saving lives than any other intervention we could possibly do in healthcare. That's true in the US and it's true everywhere on the planet. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. I wanted to uh, ask you about the built environment uh, that you had mentioned. The wealth of New York City has been built on its access to waterways. Uh, By the Civil War, New York City was one of the three top port cities in the world. Is it fair to say that a key reason New York City is a special place is because of its water? 100%. We wouldn't
3: have become New York City without the water. So think about it. We have a natural, all-weather, deep-water harbor. That was what, when Henry Hudson uh, was looking for the shortcut to Asia, uh, found and popularized. And he was a little disappointed that It didn't go beyond Albany, but they set up the city of New Amsterdam there at the time, and it's a fabulous harbor and commerce flourished here. And then in the 1820s, with the construction of the Erie Canal, this was the economic engine that fueled all further development in New York State. So this was the most fertile toll route ever because it connected Lake Erie to the Hudson River and they were collecting money all along the way and it paid for all of New York's infrastructure and growth since. It's why? Why did the development of Manhattan occur, all the construction and wealth in Manhattan and not on the New Jersey side? Because we had invested in our water, in the Erie Canal, and and then in this clean water system with the Croton Aqueduct in the 1840s. So it really goes to show how investment in infrastructure pays off in a huge, huge way. New Jersey didn't start building its reservoir system until the 1900s, 60 years later, and by then it was game over. We had already used this revenue from the Erie Canal to pay for the subway system and many other social improvements so the water is really the key to the
2: economy and the health of our city. Wow, wow. I'm glad we invited you, Peter. You're a wealth of information here. Right? Um, History, yes. Yeah, it's yeah. great. So, so, I mean, it, it was part of the economy of the buildup and the the wealth that this uh, city has accrued. But I was wanted to ask, either Matt or Peter, can we get a sense of the variety of water venues, the kinds of water that we can see In this urban area with millions of people, and we have all these natural places, what are they? Sure. A few blocks from here, the
0: Central Park Reservoir is is beautiful, and some of the the smaller ponds around the the park. If we go over to to Brooklyn, there's the Ridgewood Reservoir, which is, I guess you would say, between Brooklyn and Queens, right on the border. Uh, A 50-acre forest with a 12-acre pond. In Staten Island, you have many streams that, uh, and wetlands that serve uh, to manage stormwater and also are, are, are beautiful marshlands uh, filled with nature. So there, there are many opportunities. Uh, and there, there are more historic reservoirs, too, that are situated in city parks that are natural areas.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I constantly walk through Central Park, and I'm constantly amazed at how this thing right in the middle of Manhattan you, you're walking along and then there's a waterfall, you know, and there's this little river and there's these natural places and you could be anywhere.
1: Yay, yeah, almost didn't in, vote. Yay. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and I think it's telling that in Central Park, the largest feature, the largest single feature in the park is the reservoir. Water is the most important thing for us.
1: So New York City is constantly building itself. I remember when I first came here, I looked around at all the construction, and I said, this, they're never going to finish. They're never going to finish this city. So how does all that demolition and construction affect the natural waters in our city?
0: My father says the, the city grows buildings like a forest grows trees. New York is fortunate that we have an incredible park system, and uh, those areas are protected from development.
1: Are our natural wetlands and ponds and rivers healthy?
0: I would say it is in pretty good health. There are 170 species of birds that migrate through there. 170? 170. Yeah, Central Park has even more. I think it's on the order of 300.
1: And you were showing us a bird earlier who you said (laughs) has come back.
0: That's right. The pied-billed grebe Grebe. uh, we saw at the Ridgewood Reservoir uh, a couple days ago in an area of the pond that we have rehabilitated. It was... Completely uh, overgrown with an invasive reed called Phragmites australis. And w- we're partnering with the Parks Department and um, the State Department of Environmental Conservation to remove a good deal of this invasive plant to, to preserve the pond and the water for the waterfowl. And the pied bill grebe is, is a great example. And we were particularly encouraged that we saw that one, uh, one because it's cute, but uh, even more important. It is on the threatened species list uh, in New York State. So rehabilitating its habitat is very important.
1: Have you seen a lot of um, animal life come back?
0: There's an incredible amount of of wildlife at the Ridgewood Reservoir. We've we've seen some um, incredible wildlife there. Uh, Yeah, um, some other natural areas just off the top of my head. Shirley Chisholm State Park. I've seen black ibises, and uh, I've seen coyote in Central Park. Uh, so no. Uh huh. In fact, the day my son was born. Uh, How does a coyote get to
2: Central Park? Are, it doesn't take he the takes, subway.
1: Yeah, he takes the A train. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> I set you up for that. Okay,
1: yeah. I have one for you. What about places like Newtown Creek?
0: Sure, even there, and um, it's there,
1: better because we've heard that it's not. It's not very clean.
0: So, so you're absolutely right. It is a super fun site. It 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 would benefit from remediation. There's still an active oil spill going on, you know, from uh, the Rockefeller days. There are some incredible organizations that are working to, uh, to improve it, like uh, the Newtown Creek Alliance and uh, Billion Oyster Project uh, has some installations there. Also LaGuardia Community College, which is uh, right close to it, has, has many projects. There is some beautiful nature there for sure. But I've certainly visited and, and seen some incredible stuff, and I've i paddled with the Newtown Creek Alliance, which offers public paddles uh, in every, the creek every week or every month. Yeah. Oh, great! Yeah. And it's not
2: disgusting to go in there
0: uh, in the creek when it's not raining. It's it's beautiful, but when it, the the, the rain kind of um, slushes it up and
2: when when it
0: rains um, because of these combined sewer overflows, you do get raw sewage in there, and it's it's stinky.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: You're listening to Bark Crawl Radio, recording at Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar. We're talking with Matt Molina and Peter Frissoff of NYCH2O. Rebecca and I recently visited Marine Park Salt Marsh in Brooklyn, one of several natural tidal salt marshes in our area. We walked with nature guide Sophia Barno, who pointed out the variety of wildlife and flora. Afterwards, we sat with Sophie and talked about the importance of the salt marsh to the health of our city environment. So, Sophie Barnell. Yes. Hi, from uh, University of Minnesota, but now living in New York City. Yes. Thank you very much. I uh, Thank you very much for talking to us. I thought maybe we can start off with you telling us about where we are right now. I know we're at a park bench.
4: Yes, we are at a park bench at Marine Park. Um, Marine Park is... My favorite park in the city. It is a salt marsh, but it's also mixed with maritime forest in Sheepshead Bay, South Brooklyn.
2: Okay, let's get specific. Right behind Sorry. me there is a road. Yes. With uh, trucks going by and cars and Avenue stuff.
4: Ute. Avenue U. Behind
2: Ute. you is a magnificent salt marsh.
4: What is a salt marsh? So, a salt marsh is a uh, habitat that is formed at the edge of the um, ocean so we'll only see salt marshes um, where there is an ocean next to it and it is formed over hundreds of years salt marshes are habitat where the water is calmer a lot of times they'll be protected by like a buffer so we will see like if we go further out past this we have like Fort Tilden and Jacob Reese and that is protecting a marine park we also have that big island out there that's protecting um, the waves from crashing in to the shore here and so we can see grasses and plants and bugs and trees that we normally don't see in other spaces around the city.
1: Just indigenous to salt marshes. Yes. Right. And we should tell our friends who are water skiers not to ski like we saw today.
4: Yes. In the
1: salt marsh. So
4: the issue with that is that when there's boat wake, um, we do see the waves crashing onto shore and these plant species that are really sensitive to that kind of stuff, they'll get transformed into mud flats and we'll see um, erosion there and it all just start being mud and so we won't see the cordgrass, grass, we won't see the salt hay grass which birds like salt marsh sparrow and seaside sparrow use to nest.
1: Can you tell us about some of the other salt marshes in New York City? I didn't re- you were talking about it while we were on the walk and I didn't realize there were so many.
4: Yeah so um, you'll see salt marshes all the way up to the Bronx. Pelham Bay Park we have Turtle Cove up there which is a salt marsh and you'll get similar species that you see down here. Um, And then we have Jamaica Bay, which is probably the most popular one people go to. There's some salt marsh at Charlie Chisholm Park. There's some salt marsh at Spring Creek Park. um, Even Canarsie Park is a salt marsh, all South Brooklyn and Queens. Um, But it's it's not huge, right? It's not this vast expanse of marsh like Jamaica Bay. That's kind of, for me, that's like the very dominant special one that uh, we see a lot of people going and birding and, um, a lot of people fight to protect that one, which is great, but I think we should be protecting all of the city's salt marshes. I
2: mean, this salt marsh seems quite large, too. It is. Lar- it's Here large. in it's Brooklyn.
4: A, I think in the entire marine park is about 400 acres, and a lot of that is salt marsh.
1: Also I understand you were saying earlier that they have been decimated in the past and we're trying to bring them back.
4: Mm-hmm. In the 1940s and 60s, this was actually filled in a lot with dirt and land. And so um, you can actually look at, there's this website called NYC Then and Now, and you can look at an aerial photograph from the 1920s, and this was entirely marsh. Like, you see this big bay of water here, there was water, but there was also marsh all filling that in. And so... Since then, we've filled in with lands to make paths, to develop, to do this and that. And now we're seeing only about 20% of all of the marshes still here now in the 2023 um, than we're historically here.
2: I think it's important that we talk about the importance of the salt mm-hmm. marsh and the wetlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is part of the, the wetlands and the diversity mm-hmm. that, that's here. Can you talk a little bit about that?
4: Yeah, so um, one thing that a lot of people don't know is that Salt marshes are one of the most, what we call, productive habitats, meaning that um, it can suck in so much carbon dioxide. It can clean our air so, so well. The less we have of these salt marshes, the less we can do that. You know, trees are really great. They're really productive, but salt marshes specifically um, really take in a lot of that carbon. And these marshes are great buffers for floods. So if New York City gets a ton of rain, um, instead of Us getting our flood, our houses getting flooded, and our fields getting flooded. Um, This is a great buffer here um, to to protect the rest of our actual developed city. Um, We were
2: basically on this walk. um, You were pointing out all the the uh, wildlife that's here, birds mostly, but other wildlife. Uh, Can you talk about what did we see today?
4: Yeah. So um, there was a lot. There's this term in. Ecology called endemism, meaning there's certain species that are endemic to a specific habitat or endemic to a specific location. So we see a lot of species endemic to northeastern United States salt marshes, um, which is really, really cool. Um, so it is cool. Species, this is a
2: cool walk. It
4: is really cool. So people will come from, you know, even the Midwest, where I came from, from the western United States, from all over to see. These species that they'll only see here.
2: So, what did we see today?
4: Uh, so today we saw um, sand fiddler crabs, which are really fun salt marsh species. Sand fiddler crabs have these enormous um, claws—one enormous claw that they use for to protect themselves, right, to prevent against predation. Um, and they make these holes in the mud flats; they go in and out of. And sand fiddler cla- crabs are eaten by birds, are eaten by. Um, rodents that we can see running around. They're eaten by mammals. Um, We also saw a lot of cool birds. So some of the birds that we only see in the salt marshes or in marsh habitats are um, rails. Black Rail, Clapper Rail, Virginia Rail. All these are very like low to the ground, in the marsh grasses, sometimes calling, sometimes yelling at you. The ones that I studied all last summer are sparrows. So some sparrows that we are also endemic to salt marsh habitat are seaside sparrows and salt marsh sparrows nelson sparrows are also ones that you can see in salt marsh habitat you can but you can see those throughout the united states what are the we big, saw those yeah, big the, birds the, that the we saw. long neck you called them a dinosaur oh yes so um the egrets yes we saw egrets and herons today um are All, like, older birds. They evolved earlier on than these, like, little songbirds that we saw. Um, And so you can really see that in the way they call. They're big, like, croaking calls. They have these, like, long necks. Um,
2: When they fly,
4: they're just... When they fly, they keep their legs out. Like pterodactyls. Exactly. They're pterodactyls. Uh, um, Those birds are really important to the marsh um, because of what they eat. uh, They poop. They're... um, their nesting behavior, they're, they're, they're just a very, they're a very important part of the marsh. And what's also important is keeping these marshes um, here means that they have a place to stop over when they're flying and they're migrating up and down. Um, if these marshes are here, where are these birds going to stop? Um, they need these stopover sites to rest and replenish and eat. And if they don't have those, these birds will die.
1: And how might we lose the, these marshes?
4: Um, one main way that these marshes are disappearing is sea level rise which makes sense right because these marshes are always on the ocean's edge and so as we're seeing the ocean rise more and more we're seeing the plants get flooded out and flooded out and flooded out and um, the marsh grasses here uh, need a very very specific environment to grow and they need to be um, exposed sometimes flooded sometimes by tides but also have times of day when they're not flooded and With the sea level rise, we're seeing this marsh like kind of go back, if that makes sense, like recede back and back. And it takes so long for these marshes to form that there's no way they can reform fast enough. Another uh, effect of global or climate change is those increasing of those um, natural disasters. So we're seeing more hurricanes and those can actually like can absolutely destroy a marsh. So a
2: hurricane could come through here and take this marsh out.
4: Yes. In one event. It, and, uh, and then
2: no no more marine wet salt no marsh. No more salt
4: marsh, yeah. Um,
2: so it's a very delicate thing. It's
4: a very, very delicate ecosystem.
2: What, what, what is your hope for the future of this um, wetland, uh, this marshland behind us?
4: Well, something that I find really great about New York City and the New York City nature community is that we all do work together to help places like this. So I hope that even if, you know, the Supreme Court says... Now we can fill this in more. Now we can make it into this developed area that the people of New York City and the nonprofits of New York City will come together and say, no, we need to protect this habitat. Um, I'd say especially in the New York City birding community, which is very strong, everyone will try their best to keep all of these wetlands and all of these salt marshes protected because there's a lot of salt marsh in New York City. That is something that I would have never, you know, when I moved here, I never would have thought that we would have this crazy beautiful. We have habitat never here. seen
2: it before. This is just amazing. It's miraculous.
4: It's it's very very special. All right, and we're
2: like 45 minutes from the Upper West Side. Oh yeah, it's amazing. Uh, Sophia Barno of the New York City H2O group. Mhm. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on Row Radio. Thank you for having us, me. Telling us about the marine salt marsh.
4: <laughs> thank you for having me.
1: Recently, a Supreme Court ruling undermined the role of the Environmental Protection Agency and Clean Water Act. Which protected our salt marshes and wetlands? How does it, is it dangerous to our environment?
0: Weakening environmental standards is never a good idea, particularly for wetlands, which, as I mentioned before, are the nurseries for ecosystems and um, also serve to, uh, in more natural environments, uh, filter water. Um, and uh, prevent runoff, weakening uh, standards and regulations to protect wetlands, bad idea overall. I think it's important to remember also
3: in terms of purifying the water that when we had this horrendous uh, death rate from cholera, yellow fever, and typhus before the construction of the Croton Reservoir, it was because the aquifer We were drinking largely well water, and the aquifer from which the well water was drawn was polluted by all the construction. So there's a big impact on healthcare, and the costs to society of of doing this are, are enormous, not just in terms of flooding, which wetlands prevent, but also to the health of the water in the aquifer, which is still a very important source of water for hundreds of millions of people in our country.
0: And when they were developing uh, the city, they filled in the wetlands, um, which filtered the water for, for the, aqu-
2: the aquifers. Where is our city council in relation to protecting the wetlands and the rivers and the I mean, are they supporting the work that you're doing at h 20 Matt? The City Council, fortunately, is
0: uh, very supportive of our work. There are 51 members in the City Council, and 25 of them support our environmental education programs and, and stewardship efforts, and uh, we're excited. Even tomorrow, uh, Council Member Mercedes Narcisse will be joining us for a cleanup at a Canarsie Park, which is uh, right close to Marine Park, and, and a site where we take a lot of students on environmental education programs. And uh, it's, it's a beautiful park and has uh, a forest within it and wetlands. Uh, it's right on Patigate Basin. And um, we're fortunate that the city council is uh, uh, a majority uh, supportive of, of our work. But I think what's extraordinary here is that seven or eight years ago,
3: there was no city council support. And now to have half the city council supporting these programs. And why? Well, the return on investment here is just absolutely off the charts. We're a tiny little organization. We get amazing numbers of volunteers and also volunteers from corporations like Con Edison, which per, which participates in our in our cleanups with their workforce. But the number of students that come to our events and how that has increased over the years is just one of the most amazing stories of cost-effective support. So when the city council and the state government support us, you know, it's directly helping their community and kids in their community. You know, one of the the most important things about NYCH2O and the reason why I love and support this organization the way I do is most of us have absolutely no idea what happens when we turn on the tap and get this wonderful water, or if we flush it toilet. Best water in the country. So what happens? I mean, it is absolutely a miracle of engineering that started with this investment in infrastructure in the 19th century. And it's critical that our youngsters and future generations know, love, and appreciate why this matters so much. And that's really
2: what NYCH2O is all about. Yep. I wanted to absolutely talk about Ridgewood Reservoir. I, I was out there uh, a few weeks ago. I'd never seen it before. I asked a local, I where's the reservoir? And he didn't know where it was. It's kind of way up high in the air. You have to see this, like three stories up. On a ridge. It's on a... There you go. <laughs> didn't think of that. Um, and it is the most amazing, magical... I found a secret kind of place that I had never... Everyone should go see it or don't go see it so it doesn't get overrun because it's amazing. Tell us a story, Matt, of Ridgewood Reservoir and what NYCH2O did to save it.
1: And it's going to be renamed the Secret Reservoir now oh. that <laughs> makes it yeah. so much more alluring. Uh,
0: N- NYCH2O has been involved at the Ridgewood Reservoir, both bringing students there on, on environmental education field trips and stewarding the site since 2014 and could you describe it yeah how would you describe it yeah it's a defunct reservoir uh that has three basins and two of the the basins the two outer basins were drained about 50 years ago and just left to their own devices there was no there was no attention paid to them and so they did what nature does and they grew a forest an incredibly lush and diverse forest now it's it's, over, it's there's many invasive species as well, but there are many native species, and so it really is a hotbed for, for wildlife and, as I, as I said, for, for birds that migrate. The Middle Basin, probably um, uh, almost magic, magical, there's a 12-acre freshwater pond that's about 5 feet deep, and um, it's the, the home for uh, numerous waterfowl, frogs, turtles, shrimp, uh, the magnificent bryozoan, if you haven't uh, seen one, it is like a jellyfish from outer space that flourishes uh, as a colony uh, in the late summer in freshwater ponds, and it's actually a sign of clean water. Um, so really uh, a, a magical a magical pond. And we are involved in a number of uh, stewardship initiatives there. Uh, for example, uh, there's a great um, a, a large pollinator garden um, about a quarter mile uh, long um, along the, 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 the shores of the reservoir that we uh, maintain along with the Parks Department and, and uh, hundreds of, of volunteers come out, um, dozens each month. Uh, we have regular vol- volunteer gardening days there. And uh, we're also working diligently to save the pond itself from being overgrown by an invasive reed. Uh, called Fragmites, and again we, we want to save that that pond environment for the uh, the wildlife that that call it home.
3: So, and we literally have hundreds of volunteers who come out, but I'd like Matt to talk a little bit about the magic of the views, both of the Manhattan skyline and the and the Atlantic Ocean, and also how Ridgewood Reservoir has seduced so many elected Officials who come to visit and like you, Alan, are absolutely blown away. I See have what never we've seen anything and... <laughs> like that. Okay, uh, it
2: is unique.
3: I have to go now. So We're way up over the you, city. Listeners, go to nyc h2o. org and sign up for one of our events, and you can learn more about it there. But talk a little bit, Matt, about the electeds who are visited. And what happened after they visited? Because they not only had Alan's reaction, but they said, This is amazing. We have to support it and do our little bit. And it's also a very underserved community at the Brooklyn Queens border. So we're really doing what I think is some of the most important educational work anywhere in the city of New York out at Ridgewood. But I'd like Matt, to talk a little bit about the electeds who are visited, what happened, and also the Halloween scary trail, where you can meet some of these electeds and Parks Department. Is this coming
2: up? Well, it
3: is. It must be Halloween,
0: Alan. Boo! (laughs) Most of the elected officials um, in the communities around the reservoir have come to the reservoir and have fallen in love with it and become staunch supporters of h2o and our work and have invested in it and have allowed this work that that we're doing to to be possible cuts across party lines even
2: no impossible oh my gosh
0: you know the ecological services that the um the site provides and the benefit to the community um in terms of uh active health and mental health and um just the beauty of it is um is incredible so um they all agree that this is a Uh, a resource that that, um, they have to invest in, and they do, and we're we're super appreciative. Congress
3: representatives of Congress, of state senators, of state assembly members, and city council members, borough presidents, transportation commissioners, you name it, they come out there and they say,
2: wow, this is amazing. Go to the NYCH2O website, but go to Ridgewood Reservoir. Yeah, it's a, an amazing walk in an urban area in which you are in, in the middle of this gorgeous forest and water. And,
1: and, yeah, and, 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 and the and Patterson
2: how... Highway is right there.
1: So there are several hardworking organizations like NYCH2O, Working for Our Natural World, Riverkeeper, Natural Resources Defense Council, ScenicHudson.org, also working to clean up the rivers. Uh, we also heard about the, the New York Harbor Billion Oyster Project. Do you ever all work together or, or on any level?
0: We certainly have collaborated with them. Uh, the Billion Oyster Project uh, worked with us at uh, Ellis Island, where they have some oyster cages, and they were nice enough to uh, to take an oyster cage out of the, the water so we could show it to our students. Yeah, Bronx River Alliance.
3: Anybody who cares about the water, we we, we love them and we work with them.
0: That's right. Uh, Riverkeeper also organizes shore cleanups, so when they do that, we we partner with them. Uh, Natural Resources Defense Council does a lot of advocacy, um, so we
2: always sign on to their
0: um, New York League of Conservation
3: Voters. So
2: it sounds like we're in good hands with all this volunteer work.
3: Corporate partners like Con Edison and... and
0: DHL has sent employees for for cleanups, Uh, Coca-Cola... New York Presbyterian Hospital. That's particularly an exciting opportunity for us because they have a real mandate to promote public health and, and active health. And so we're, we're working to set up a, a panel discussion about active health uh, in the city. And we have an online curriculum uh, at nych2ohub.org. Many lessons about uh, New York City's water system, how we get our water, uh, where it comes from, uh, the engineering and the history behind it, as well as our stormwater and how uh, how that gets managed, and we created these these curriculum pages that are interactive. They're multimedia, and they uh, employ many maps that um, you can click on and explore um, and pinpoint the areas, uh, the particular features of the water infrastructure that that we highlight. That's and amazing. Teachers use this, and by the way, teachers sign up. Their students for the
3: field trips, which again, if you're a teacher listening, please go to our website and you'll see how you can get your kids involved in these education programs.
1: Yeah, I'm going to tap into this myself. Absolutely, um, I teach a, a, a lesson at the. Um, I'm a Montessori teacher, and we're teaching one. It's a Montessori lesson. It's called the Work of Water. So you teach them all about waterways and. Everything. So I am going to absolutely tap into this. That's uh, great.
0: Please, please do. We um, uh, had a, a really talented uh, employee that was um, had a passion for GIS, but was also had a degree in graphic design, and he made a, a beautiful uh, drawing of the urban water cycle, and so that, that's available there. And then we also worked with a very talented. Uh, graphic designer, and animator to make a an animation about the, the urban water cycle.
2: And this is all on nych 2
0: org. org. That's right. Um, the And the education uh, hub is nych2ohub.org. Okay. okay. There's a link to that on the main
2: on site. On the main online. site. Okay. We, we will definitely Not put that into the notes.
1: Absolutely.
0: I, I would invite all your listeners... To, to join NYC H2O for, for a program, uh, to get outside and uh, learn about the water system, waterways, parks, and just see how important water is uh, in their lives and um, in the, the ecosystem that, that we live in here in New York.
1: And tell us how to volunteer for a- NYC H2O. Uh,
0: please visit nych2o.org. We have volunteer programs nearly every weekend in different parks around the city. All five boroughs, and um,
2: we'd love to meet you. We'd love for you to join us. Thank you, thank you, Matt Molina and Peter Frissoff of NYC H2O, for joining us here at Gephardt's Beer Culture Bar for Bar Crawl Radio as it rains and the water is flowing towards the uh, towards the sewage plant upriver <laughs> up, up from us. Such right. a waste. Thank you, Becca and Alan. Sure, yeah sure. great speaking. This is Barkroll Radio, and we have been talking with Matt Molina and Peter Frishoff of NYCH2O. Water is life, and we want to thank the work being done by NYCH2O for keeping the waters in and around our city natural for all of us. We are Barkroll Radio. If you have any comments about our programming, you can contact me, Alan Winston, or my co-host, Rebecca McCain, at barkrollradio at gmail.com. And thank you, Wade Ripka's Eastern Blockheads, once again, for the BCR Bop Bop music theme.